On this episode, we discuss the future of trade shows, more on AI, and efficient installs. All that and more on EdTech. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. AV Nation is brought to you by Sure. Because every voice matters. EdTech episode 107, a smarter, faster, better future. Hello, AV friends, and welcome to another episode of EdTech. As always, we have our panel of awesome higher ed AV professionals, Ernie Bailey. Hi, Ernie. Hello, Erin. How are you doing today? It's Friday. It's Friday. <laughs> And we have with us Rob Raspberry. Hi, Rob. Hey, Aaron. It's great to be back with everybody again. It's like family. Absolutely. And of course, Scott Tyner. Hi, Scott. Hey, Aaron. How are you? And hey, everybody. Always fun to be back. Yeah. And today we have a special guest joining us for this episode from the University of Redlands, Luis Garcia. Hi, Luis. Welcome to our uh, little group here. How about you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do over there? Sure thing. Um, so like you said, my name is Luis Garcia. I work here at the University of Redlands as the audiovisual services manager. Uh, we take care of anything from live conferencing needs uh, across our campus to live event needs uh, in support of our external clients that our event services office brings in. Um, so we just uh, finished off uh, our commencement season. Uh, so four commencements, uh, the very tail end of April. So very happy to be done with that, uh, was a, uh, pretty much our showcase for, uh, moving, uh, more and more towards NDI, uh, and doing a lot of the work in-house that we would traditionally do, uh, with outside vendors. So we're really proud of the work that we were able to accomplish. Our, our students seem to be happy. Our administration and our, you know, fellow staff members that helped us pull it off, uh, we're certainly happy, uh, one, to do it and finally get it over with. So now that we we, we ended up doing it in a new venue, so that was really uh, cool to see that transition over from our traditional space and doing everything really for the first time and really, you know, just hitting out of the park. Fantastic. That's great to hear. And it's, it's interesting because, um, I guess... I'm, you guys must start your school year a little bit earlier since I feel like most commencements are kind of hitting in May. Yeah. Um, we start around September uh, for the fall and we come right back mid January for our spring semester. So everything wraps up around mid April and then uh, a week and a half to go after classes kind of end and taper into exams. And it's just, uh, nonstop action until <laughs> everybody walks across that stage. Neat. Yeah. We're, um, we're just actually t next week will be finals and then leading up into, uh, commencement. So definitely looking forward to just having that done <laughs> so we can move on and get that summer started. Right. Well, all right, everybody. Um, this, we, uh, this episode, we have a, you know, three articles that we all took a look at and we'll start off with one from rave pubs the future of trade shows and of course who did write who did write write this one 
our very own Scott Tyner. So Scott, do you want to kick us off with this one? Sure. Um, I, it, it being trade show season, we're all thinking about trade shows. Uh, when I wrote this, we were coming out of the ISE season. I was going to a, a higher ed uh, conference. And so I started thinking about and watching the social media reactions and the information that we were kind of getting out of ISC and, and ISE in particular. Um, and a couple of things struck me. One is that it seems like conferences and trade shows and the like are pretty much back in full force. The, the couple that I've been to seem full attendance, people in person. Uh, there's even less hybrid stuff that they're doing, a few uh, workshops here or there that are hybrid. Um, but the other one that I really noticed, and I think there was some talk about it, we might have even talked about it here at one point, is uh, about networking, is about education first. Uh, Infocom in particular is such an opportunity to get to meet people, to get to grow your network. Um, this year, uh, I, I know, Aaron, you're, you're very involved in it. Hetma has a booth there, and I, I cannot tell you how important I think it is that people come back with, with a collection of people that they've networked with. Because as we all know, higher education uh, shares a ton. And to be able to say, oh, I know somebody who did X, Y, Z, I'm going to reach out to them and hear about it. That's worth a trip to the show, show, show alone. And then when you get to the show floor, I'm really hoping that we start seeing less fake black boxes sitting on shelves that somebody tells us does something, um, but we might not see what that something is for months, around now, maybe years. Uh, and I think it, it, a, a much more practical, useful solution is let us put our hands on it. Let us use these devices, uh, actually touch them, get into the manager, do whatever we want to do with them and, and bring back real information. There's all kinds of websites. There's all kinds of trade publications now that give us kind of the, um, the specifications, but getting our hands on it is really what I think is, is super critical right now. Agree with, uh, with what Scott's saying. Yeah. Uh, the networking is very important. The education is important. I went to a little regional trade show uh, back in January. They asked me to come speak on designing classrooms. Uh, it was a combination, you know, higher ed and uh, healthcare, which covers both areas of my, my campus. So uh, I found it very interesting, but I was surprised at the turnout being as high as it was. It was the first time this trade show had happened since COVID. I went to it pre-COVID and there were probably 50 or 60 people there. There were several hundred at the event this time. Uh, and it, it was good, like Scott said, to re reconnect with old, old friends and colleagues, uh, meet new people, uh, see how people are doing things, how similar to what you're doing to what other people are doing and what's different. Uh, so uh, between that and like, like you said, the education, uh, that's a very important part. And that's how we sell our leadership on sending people to Infocom or any other trade show uh, is, you know, yes, there is a, a show floor. And yes, we want to see it, but we're going to get, some very good continuing education. And we're going to network with people and we're going to see how to use the technology to improve our classrooms, our teaching uh, methods here. So I, I'm going to jump in on a lower level of this, which I find interesting is, yeah, the big trade shows are back. But one thing that I've noticed, at least coming out of the pandemic, is I keep getting calls about more regional tech shows and symposiums and these kinds of trade things. And I've been immensely impressed 
Um, now, typically, it's backed by a larger integrator that can, you know, sort of handle this kind of thing, uh, Simcoe, these kinds of things. But these regional trade shows, because like our travel budget got cut back. So I am regrettably, I wish I could go to Infocom, but hopefully I'll be able to be there remote. And those are so valuable. But the regional tech shows are also, you know, just as good to get your hands on tech to connect. And then you make that path. You meet with the manufacturer. You have them demo something and you take it a step further. Listen, let me put our hands on it. Let's take your device for 30 days or a couple of weeks in our environment and let's see what's happening. And I've noticed they've been more uh, amicable to that. It used to be it was very difficult sometimes to get a demo unit. And now you just say it and now they just send it to you. But you got to put your hands on it, see if it works, like Scott said, get that education and that networking, like Ernie said. But um, I, I agree. I think the trade shows are in full swing. Last year was the first time I was able to attend Infocom, uh, like the entire week uh, through the education sessions and being on campus. And I think it'd been a few years, uh, possibly even a decade before anybody from the university had been sent over, um, which, you know, now that we've had that experience, we're bringing that experience back to campus and telling our uh, supervisor administrators, like the value that we, you know, brought back from it, we're still reeling in the information and, you know, diving into, you know, network opportunities that we took advantage of while we were there uh, six months, eight months later, as new problems come up, uh, new issues, you know, hey, like there was that one piece of equipment, there was that one vendor that we talked to that would be really key to this particular situation that, you know, when we come back immediately, the projects are already in full swing. There's not really a conversation of like, oh, we need it right now. But having that, you know, stockpile of business cards that I accumulated, you know, walking the show floor, um, the products that we, you know, were really, you know, sold on by, you know, whoever we were speaking to, uh, you know, the, the one that comes to mind is like for me, Teradek, we were using those like crazy during our, um, our board retreat this year in February, trying to, you know, deploy a bunch of TVs, but with minimal staff, minimal uh, equipment on hand. And I was like, that's, that's the solution for this, this particular event. And to just see that growth happen and stack upon it, you know, year over year, if you're able to go to Infocom or even have a hybrid offering of just listening in, just seeing what's out there, hearing uh, the conversations that people are having, the the voices that are coming through um, and be able to interact with, you know, an environment larger than just the University of Redlands was really like uh, a profound experience for me, really being able to get out there uh, and being able to like meet folks like yourselves and, you know, have those conversations what are you doing differently outside of education even, you know, and bringing that back into the space that I work in and seeing how we can adapt those things. Yeah. And I think it's gotten as end users, um, you know, I think we had always kind of had somewhat of an outside looking in view of these shows. Um, and it's really fantastic that now we're kind of, getting to be front and center. And I'm super excited about the, um, the Hutma booth, um, this coming Infocom. And, um, you know, since this episode will pretty much be uh, live right before the show, um, you know, I can, I can spill a little, little bit of, of what's going to happen. And, um, you know, there's, it's going to be great to have that central meeting 
place for all you know all things that are that is higher ed AV, but also it's we are going to have our the HETMA approved products in the booth in a live situation. So as Scott was talking about, like it's not going to be just this black box that's sitting on a shelf or up on a wall with a little placard and you, you know, can read its specs. We're actually going to have things set up and in use. And um, so it'll be really neat to get to see something like that. Um, and we're also, you know, we're going to have different programming in, in booth with some of our sponsors or um, groups that we, you know, uh, that we find interesting and are, you know, have something to say about topics of the day that are concern, you know, of concern to uh, higher ed. Um, plus, we're also, we're going to have a couple happy hours and we're going to have um, uh, chair massages <laughs> for a couple hours. Um, so, yeah, so we're kind of, I mean, we figured we're just going to go all out <laughs> this year to try to really make a splash and um hopefully we'll be able to we won't be so annoying that they're like yeah we don't want them back again but i feel like at a trade show that's what you want you want those couple of booths that are going to really kind of draw people in and um you know even though we may annoy everybody that's around us i think they'll appreciate the foot traffic that'll be coming past their booth anyway, because it may draw them in a little bit. Um, but I do like that it's, it seems like these big shows are becoming less and less about the big announcements or the, like the, the big, this is what's, this is, you know, the next, you know, vaporware essentially, because it's, it's not available and hopefully it'll be available in a quarter or two. And as someone who, um, had a project fail nearly uh, completely because of a consultant who spec'd something in a project that they saw at Infocom um, that a year later it was still not not um not released. So uh, I'm glad to not see those kind of big splashy things. And yeah, with the way the internet is nowadays, you don't need to do that. You can create a lot of buzz in other ways than just, you know, having something flashy in your booth at Infocom. I mean, you've almost talked me into trying to get to Infocom again here when you talk about that booth like that. <laughs> I might have to start walking. How long is it going to take me to walk to Florida? <laughs> right. Yeah. It'll probably, that time of year, it'll probably be kind of a, a gross walk <laughs> once you hit that humidity. Ugh. Take the Appalachian Trail in reverse. <laughs> Our next story comes to us from mytechdecisions.com. AI integration, how to integrate AI with existing systems for maximum benefits. Now, I know that we had talked a bit uh, last episode about some AI things, um, but Rob and Ernie missed out on the conversation and Luis wasn't there. So it's kind of like we're just, it's a brand new subject for us. So what do we have to say about this? Well, I, I love it. <laughs> uh, it's been uh, super helpful, um, you know, doing my job. Um, you know, oftentimes it's just be, me by myself trying to figure out problems. 
Uh, and so, you know, even for our commencement season, um, I have <laughs> no qualms about admitting it, but I, you know, hopped on chat GPT and started asking it questions about, you know, figuring out answers, things that I, I have in the back of my head, but I, I have to like scratch that itch in order to get down to like where that, that answer is in my brain. Um, you know, uh, in the past, I used to be able to like rely on somebody to like talk back and forth with, like, let's figure out this networking problem. Why aren't the cameras working? Um, and so having that dynamic with, you know, the chat essentially, and being able to bounce those ideas back and forth, like why, tell me why this wouldn't work and spur my mind to work in a different direction or work around the problem, or even something, you know, as basic as like finding out the IP. I can't, I can't keep all those notes in my head 100% of the time. And sometimes it was, it's just easier, right? To go to your coworker and ask, hey, how do you do this? You know, um, I forgot, you know, can you remind me? There's like a step that I'm missing. And that's really where it starts to fill in the gaps for me is like being that coworker that's available 100% of the time. And so I'm hoping that as, you know, time progresses and the, the technology improves, that's a more reliable, trustworthy source because, you know, as with anything brand new, I don't necessarily trust it, you know, 100% right off the bat. I'm, it, it prompts me to like, okay, this might be the answer. And then I go digging now that I have like these like uh, stepping stones, if you will, of, okay, now let's look on more legitimate, more trustworthy sites. If this is in fact the answer to give myself that sense of, okay, yeah, I can trust this path and I can go down it. Um, but I think, you know, in a couple of years, even not, I was thinking maybe like five, 10 years, but you know, we're seeing the, this, you know, bleed into like other industries, like almost so rapidly, right? We're, we're having in other, you know, concerns with AI music and AI artists and, uh, you know, a portrayal of people that aren't really singing these songs. Um, so it's just happening so quickly that I just, in a couple of years, it's just going to be commonplace to like, this is your tool, like your onboarding process. I just expect it to be part of the process, like of, of, you know, we, we struggled with so long of how do I train you on doing all of these things in my AD department? Like there's so many things I need to train students on as my like primary source of, of, of workers. Like they, they know nothing. They don't know anything about AV systems. Like, but now you have a tool that can sit in your back pocket and be on your phone. And it, you can just ask the question that you're so, you know, desperately needing to be answered instead of going down the path that we normally have gone down of like, all right, let me Google like this starting subject and let's see if I can find my way towards the answer. Now it's more immediate. Like this is the problem that I'm facing. And almost immediately you get 90% of the answer right there at your fingertips. And then you can go from there. Uh, again, it's not ready to like take over anybody's jobs. I, I don't think, I know that's the articles that I keep seeing everywhere else is like most of these jobs will be replaced, but there's still that component that you have to insert yourself into um, and make sure that the answer is correct. Because again, you, you, you're, you're trusting, if you go 100% <laughs> right now, you're trusting that this is 100% reliable, this is 100% how it should be, and that could be problematic. Like, you know, that could be a potentially event ending failure that you're setting yourself up on. So you know, we, I used it for, you know, as we were building that commencement setup, as we were building that live stream network, you know, all just for the sake of this once, you know, couple of days of ceremonies, like everything built upon all these different components. And so 
you know, making sure that I was going and verifying that information was, was crucial. And I think it's still going to be crucial for the next, I don't know, I'm going to throw a number out there, 18, 24 months, like, but it's just going to, it's just happening so quickly and people are so eager to get their hands on it. I know there's that wariness about it, but like, I'm, I'm engaged. I, I know folks around me are engaged about it and that sort of engagement, like that's, what's going to push it forward even faster and faster. Cause people want it. People, more people need to be working on this. More people need this type of solution and, and more integrations will just continue to like arise. Absolutely. I feel like even in just the last month since we recorded the last episode that we talked about, um, chat GBT and AI and, and, there, I've seen lists of new chatbots that have been created just in this last thirty days, and it's incredible. And I um, like we have there's a uh, chatbot app that's um, integrated into Slack named Claude, and um, I think my my husband is a little bit jealous because I'm always like, oh yeah, I asked Claude this and he had the best <laughs> answer. And and so he's just like, do I have to, do I have to worry about Claude? I'm like, mm, you might, cause I, he's, he's just getting smarter and smarter, but, um, but you're right about fact checking, like, because all of the data that's going, you know, that it's pulling answers from you, it's not, it didn't really check its sources. And just like anything on the internet, you never know. It is getting better at telling you that it did not pull anything after September, 2021, or whenever it was that it has a date for, um, you know, last being like filled with information. So I think when I first started using it, it didn't do that as much, but now it's like, hold on, just making you aware that like this is kind of time sensitive information, like two years, a long time should let you know, like this might not be the most up-to-date thing. So that's helpful at least. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, I just don't feel like it's going to take that much longer. If, I mean, it certainly, if it was plugged into the, the rest of the internet, it could just check whatever instead of, you know, right now it just feels like I'm like playing with Watson on jeopardy when they had him like do the show uh, all those years ago. Um, but I mean, once it's plugged into the rest of everybody else, like, uh, what's, what's really the limit there? Absolutely. Yeah. It's sort of, uh, I'm sort of wondering what the next level of this is. So as far as from an AB sort of perspective, where does AI come in? Does it obviously might help, you know, integrators and designers design systems faster and more accurately? Will it get to the point where maybe we have management systems? that are, you know, that, that AI can just, you know, give us feedback. Oh, you know, like a global classroom or, you know, uh, any kind of management well, in classroom such and such, you really need to look at this, these hours that are happening here instead of us, you know, directly having to look at each room and say, okay, it's time to do that. Is there a capability of AI to come in and start managing that? Is there the ability for AI to start coming in? And, you know, we'd always talked about voice recognition and stuff in classrooms or helping instructors get the right settings that they have. It possibilities are fascinating with this and scary at the same time because you're giving the AI a level of of trust and I'm not I'm gonna say power, but responsibility. Are we ready for that? So it's fascinating. I'm also thinking about, you know, AI as a 
teaching tool as, as an AV component in the classroom. We're starting to see that. And, I mean, I think this article was kind of directing a little bit towards that as well. I do not see incorporating AI into existing systems. I see starting from scratch just to make sure, uh, you know, because there's so many different variables in there you have to kind of play with. Uh, but we are seeing some AI in some of our medical classes. And, you know, a lot of schools are putting in uh, their eSports, which involves a lot of uh, AI as well. So, you know, yes, it, it's, I see it as a management tool, design tool, but also as a teaching tool in itself. You, you, you all know I'm absolutely bullish on AI. I think that it is just the, the complete the complete thing and, and the future. And Aaron, when we were uh, recording last time, we were talking about AI again, and you said, well, think about what it can do for maintenance and support. And so I did, I thought about what it could do for maintenance and support. And so actually my, my next rave pubs article is, is about that. And so I don't know if this is going to come out or that's going to come out first, but think about this fact that you've got a classroom that you feed your design into AI, you feed the manuals of that full classroom into AI. So in many ways, this AI knows the classroom better than you. And it's using the intelligence of the classroom so that it knows if a faculty member is trying to play YouTube, that the audio, that it has to be on the computer input, that audio should be coming out. Is audio coming out? Is the projector actually on? Is there something showing on the projector? And then goes and fixes itself. Then, I mean, if you take that and you add in like augmented reality and you walk in and, and it's like, it, it'll show you, oh, oh, here's the problem. Here's what you need to fix, wire, get disconnected, whatever. It is, it's crazy. And I think one of the craziest things about it is I don't think it's that far away. Uh, so many times we talk about dreamy things, holograms. I still think holograms are great. They're still a long ways away. This is, as Luis was saying, I mean, I, you feel like this is just right in front of us. Yeah. Absolutely. Things like um, that. I forget if it's NVIDIA or someone did with um, eye movement in video where yes. it'll automatically fix. And Freaking. watching that, <laughs> watching the last recording of this podcast, I was like, I could use that because my eyes are yeah. bonkers. Like, I'm like, where am I looking? But to have, if, the technology to have it just fix, like make my eyes look like they're looking straight, even though I may be all over the place, um, would be amazing. <laughs> and you've seen the one where it's like, this is the actual video and this is the AI corrected video. It, it, yeah. it, it's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, I could see that being so helpful. Absolutely. Um, but, it, and it would be, uh, It'd be kind of neat if, you know, because as if all of us, you know, had all the extra time in the world because we don't do enough things. Um, it'd be kind of neat to build a specific AV bot, essentially, mm -hmm. that like it's just that is the information that it is fed. And um, that'd be really neat to, you know, but you know, somebody, somebody's out there listening to this and they'll be like, Oh, hmm. they're onto something. All right. Let's, let's make this happen. Ed tech GPT. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could have, uh, a virtual, uh, guest on our show. That's 
AI ruined it. (laughs) The next story comes to us from AV Magazine. Strive AV completes 147 classroom installation in 12 days. Um, So you don't have to do the math. Um, 147 rooms in 12 days is 12 and a quarter rooms per day. And with four teams working around the clock, that's basically 36 uh, and three quarters rooms per team that they that they had to complete, which is about three rooms per day per team. I'm thinking I would be impressed with 12 rooms in 147 days. (laughs) So, you know, it's interesting because I'm not sure I read through all of this, but it seemed like and everybody correct me if I'm wrong. Um, a lot of these were just, they're putting up interactive boards, you know, it, it seemed like they're pretty simple setups, not taking anything away from it. But if you have enough time resources and your classroom refresh is simple and you have the time, like trying to get for, time for integrators to come in and do a few rooms, even in between semesters is a challenge because there's other things that go on in these classrooms and these event spaces. If they have that time set aside and everything's clear and they can just go to town and do it, that's doable. I mean, you know, if if that room was a super, you know, high flex hybrid interactive holographic, you know, classroom and they did it in that time, I'd be like, oh, okay, now we really got something. That's not taking away from it. But if you plan the time out, manage the time out, putting up those types of setups if you if you're uninterrupted, it can be done. But it is impressive. It's interesting. I at first it really intrigued me because I was like, this is cool because exactly what Rob just said. We think we've got all summer, but everything's going on in rooms all the time. And I think probably most of us do things in modular steps so that we can move in as quick. Right? We've got our racks built or our podiums built, and um, and in in certain cases, and if you're hiring out, fine. Like if you can get something done in twelve days, that's that's great. I. Um, I look at it, one of the things I'm, I'm really aware of, especially after COVID, is, is people burning out. And to me, boy, especially in a place like Maine, summertime is precious. And I don't even like thinking of the idea of pushing my team past eight hours a day. So I'm all about um, being very efficient. I'm all about mo- doing things modularly. Um, we 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 need a really good reason to try to do something like this. People people need time and and like Rob said, the other piece is and, unless this is truly uh, cookie cutter install after install after install after there's just a, a ton of room for mistake and error rushing something like that. So it's cool and I'm sure that there's a reason they did it this way. Um, but I'm glad I don't work for that integration firm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean. I- I like, it seems like they went for a consistent experience across the rooms. It's just the varying sizes of, of the boards, which is great. Um, getting that, but yeah. And also that would have to be like a significant investment to put it, to do all of those rooms all at once. So it'll be interesting when it comes time to renew and replace those, uh, boards if it's going to be a well we'll do this you know 50 or this you know group first and then let some of them let go a little bit older past 
you know, the year they would have maybe renewed or replaced them to begin with. Yeah, we just had a group do several rooms on one of our campuses. They were four almost identical rooms. Well, they took their time, did the first one, and, you know, did all the testing and everything. And uh, then they did the next three, like, over a long weekend, you know, start noon on Friday and finish noon on Monday. And they just tell their staff, you know, you're going to be here till it's done. And we give them uh, 24-7 access to the space. And they came in and did it with the understanding that, you know, we would have the networks configured the way they had requested and everything. Everything was set up. But, you know, they did get it going and the rooms were usable. They weren't fully tested and vetted the way I would like for them to have been. But we were able to do it during the school year. Uh, by doing it that way. Uh, but, you know, now the problem I have is when we find a problem, we find it in all the rooms, you know, uh, as opposed to, to completely vetting out the first one, which they said they had, we found out they had not. Uh, they repeated the errors. So, uh, but, you know, once you got it, then once you did get it fixed in one room, you do the fix for the other three. Uh, and we held them to, to doing the repairs on our staff. So, But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's neat that they were able to do them this fast, but I would rather have them done right and take a little bit of extra time. Yeah, it's funny, Ernie, because you, I think you hit a really great point that could be another topic. Integrators come in and say, yeah, we tested the room, we vetted the room, and you had darn better follow-up with your own people testing those rooms and vetting them yourself because a lot of times these guys will say they've done it and in a month or so something starts happening, something goes wrong. And in like a huge deployment like that, you know, if they miss something, a whole lot of stuff's going to go wrong. They're going to have some very angry customers. But yeah, so that betting process is very critical. Well, what we do is we create what we call a uh, performance verification rubric. And it's a document that says, okay, our scope says you have to do this. It takes every line of the scope, explains what it means and how to test it. They have to, the contractor has to sign on it, off on it on every line item. They give me a completed one that says, you know, it met every specification. You know, the audio was plus or minus 3 dB from this corner to that corner across the space. The brightness was the same on every display, et cetera, et cetera. We, it's usually three or four pages long based on the scope. After they've signed off on it, before we cut the final check and release them, we go through with a blank copy of that rubric and do the exact same thing. And if we find anything wrong, we bring them back and say, show us how you measured it. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and we do that, like I said, we do that before we give them sign off and allow our finance people to cut the check. Well, all right. That seems to be all for this episode. So um, I wanted to thank our special guest, Luis Garcia, for joining us. Um, Luis, any last thoughts? And how can people get in touch with you? Uh, last thoughts for me are I'm just stuck with the AI and seeing how <laughs> that's going to help us, <laughs> keyword help, uh, all of us uh, in our respective jobs and responsibilities. Um, People get a hold of me on LinkedIn or on Twitter at El Garcia AV. 
Awesome. Scott, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can find me on, on LinkedIn or on Twitter uh, at S Tyner, S T I N E R, uh, here once a month or uh, also on, on Rave Pubs. Awesome. And how about you, Rob? LinkedIn. I got to get through that Twitter thing, don't I? LinkedIn right now. <laughs> and how about you, Ernie? You can also find me on LinkedIn. I have an account on Twitter, but I'm, I'm more of a troll. So. <laughs> well, all right, everybody. And for me, you can find me on LinkedIn at Aaron Marmoran or also on Twitter at Smearin underscore off underscore ice. Thank you for joining us for this episode and hope to see you next time. 